You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome in. Lake Kick is live. It is Thursday, August 31st, the year of our Lord, 2023. We're jam-packed high atop basically everyone. It's the highest altitude we've ever done the show at. Breath is short. Thoughts are long. I got a lot to talk to you guys about. As you can clearly see, this is not a green screen. This is not a virtual background. We are live in Rice-Eccles Stadium, Florida, Utah, in a matter of hours. But we've already broken that game down. This is not going to be a Florida-Utah special. It's a week one special Dare I say, it's just a celebration of life because college football is life for us. But you know what people are doing? They're lying to you. They're doing it again. They're lying. The myths are out there. So we're just going to bat them like a pinata to start the show. I got a Clemson Duke breakdown for you. That's that standalone Labor Day night special. I got shut up a few months ago because you guys said I was talking too much about a potential upset on Monday night. Well, now it's time to actually break the game down. So I'll tell you what I think and what the model thinks. Uh, I have got Cole Kublik, as I said, inexplicably on the show today. You guys asked for it, and so uh, I'm nothing if not selfless. I put my thoughts and feelings to the side. I bring you what you want, and I'm going to have what you want to call cold cuts, and I wanted to call cube steak later in the show. We are jam-packed. Uh, I am happy to say they're watching us in Ogden, Utah. They're obviously watching us in Salt Lake City, Utah. Scottsdale, not to be confused with Phoenix, watching us. Los Angeles, California, watching us. And, of course, they're tuning in Fortune, Georgia. Why would they not be? We're well over 200,000 subs on the channel. But I want to remind you guys of something. We never rest. So the, the fight is on to 300,000. But in the meantime, Sunday night, because we've got LSU, FSU Sunday night, we're going to be back in Nashville. We're going to do the show 6 Eastern, 5 Central. I'll give you time to write that down. Okay, let's get into the show. I want to talk to you guys about, well, I want to talk to you about Lies. Little Lies was my first favorite song by Fleetwood Mac, but big lies out there. Big lies about college football. So, Colin, here's a really good endpoint for you. I asked you guys as I was on my flight out to Utah last night, what do you think the biggest myths are floating around about this sport, floating around about 2023? Because I had some on my mind. Fortunately, like your thoughts and my thoughts really overlap. So let's just go through these a little bit. And the first one I wanted to hit, because it came to me in 37 different flavors, was Texas is going to underachieve because of the past. Like, because of what they didn't do under Tom Herman or Charlie Strong or whomstever, Texas will underachieve. It's the whole cannot versus have not thing. Uh, listen, if Texas falls flat again this year, and I don't think they will. I've predicted them to do big things. But if they fall flat again this year, it'll just be because Texas wasn't good enough this year. It will not be because there's, there's something, there's some shackle around their ankle from 2013 or 2016. That's fake. That's false. That's a, that's a myth, and you just need to put it away. Go sit by the garbage for a second. Think about it if that's where your head's at. If you don't think they'll be good enough along the lines of scrimmage, if you think Quinn Ewers shaving his head was not the key to him turning around his game, if you believe these sorts of things, 
then okay, maybe Texas is not back. But if they're back or not back, it won't depend on the past. Next myth. I think we did a pretty thorough dissection of that one. Next myth. And this one is 2023, but it's really evergreen. When they try and tell you that if a college football playoff spot or a college football playoff implication is not on a college football game, that it's irrelevant, don't hang out with those people. You don't have to be mean, okay? You don't have to maybe ostracize them or out them publicly. I don't discourage that, but you don't have to. But don't traffic in that. Don't traffic in the who's in mentality, the old marketing campaign that the network that's broadcasting this game tonight um, launched in an ill-fated manner a few years ago. Now, to their credit, they've backed off of it, but the damage has been done. And so you get in November, and if you got a couple of teams that are playing that you don't think are going to be in the playoff, there's going to be a casual in your social circle that says, well, this is an irrelevant game. If they're your friends, backhand them. That's fine. Like, you can get physical with them. But that's a lie. That's a lie. I told you guys, once upon a time, once upon a Saturday, as it were, I went to a North Carolina-Georgia Tech game. And they were horrible that year. But everyone was into it. It was the pre-playoff era. It was a simpler, more innocent time. I was more innocent because I was a child. Everyone else was more innocent just because they weren't focused on the playoff. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Next up. This is a this is a myth that will step on some toes, but it's a myth that we we do have to touch on. Um, some of you are in a delicate family situation out there this year, and you've loved this sport for a long time, and they've told you that you have to spend more time with the family this year. Now that is technically a myth. Like you don't have to do that, but I will counter with this: if you have the right dynamic in your family, if you have the right dynamic in your marriage or in your relationship. I don't think it has to be an either-or proposition. Like, are you with a real one? And I'm talking to guys, I'm talking to girls. If you're with a real one, they're not making you choose. They're every bit as jacked as you are. Or at the very least, they're very excited to see you excited. And if they're not, that's a little bit toxic, and I just have my hands lifelessly hanging by this director's chair right now because it saddens me to know that some of you are out there in these situations. You don't have to be. I'm not trying to be a homewrecker here. Obviously, there's no one to my left or right, so, so I'm not splitting up any relationships. I'm just saying it doesn't have to be an either-or thing. And if you if you are watching or listening and you're allowing yourself to be drawn into putting someone else in that position, it's not too late. Like, we're on the precipice of week one. It's not week nine. The damage has not been done. So let's just think about it. Let's think about how to make everyone happy, not just ourselves. Uh, I'm not going to get into the fall wedding thing today. You know my thoughts on that. Next up. Now, I did not see this, but I have it on Internet Authority, whether that's good or bad, that good friend of the show, Paul Feinbaum, said that Nick Saban's legacy is on the line this year. That's a myth. If that was said, if that's the context, we have to just go on divergent ideological paths there. That's kind of a myth. Uh, Saban could go 0-12 this year, and his legacy's set. He didn't need to do a thing. In fact, it would take off-the-field scandal at this point for Nick Saban's legacy to be unraveled. There's nothing he could do on a football field that would unravel his legacy. I don't, when I think of legacy, I think of something uh, that is very, very hard to tarnish. Like, that guy's put together decades now of a career and a legacy. Well, my thing is, if it's able to be undone with an 8-4 and four season, what are legacies worth? It's the same thing as a reputation. Like... If, if you've got someone who has built up just a sterling reputation and then they have one bad day with you, and I'm not talking about like a cataclysmic bad day, I'm just saying they're rude to you one day. Do you really allow that to torpedo their entire reputation? If the answer is yes, their reputation wasn't really made on that much to begin with. Nick Saban's legacy 
is cemented. When I was a youth down in the South, I heard stories. I heard stories of Woody. I heard stories of Bear. I heard stories of Bo. I didn't meet any of these guys. I didn't get to watch them. I wasn't born yet. So they were just legends. They were kind of more mythological. They were ideas rather than men to me. And I always thought to myself, self, you'll never get to witness that. And lo and behold, I got to witness it. And not just as a fan, we get to, we get to cover Nick Saban's Alabama. That legacy's set. It's set for me, it's set for you, it's even set for Coach Feinbaum. Next up, as of this moment, Gelby Quinn, I don't think we have breaking news out of North Carolina, so as of this moment, we don't have word from Chapel Hill as to whether Tez Walker is eligible. Again, if it's happened in the past hour, still pay attention to what I say because it's still inexcusable that we, that we got that far slash have gotten this far. It's all about the kids is the biggest myth in college football right now. Now, for some of us, it actually is. For some of us, we actually do love to learn the names of the true freshmen. Sometimes we don't wait until they're true freshmen. Like we love to celebrate the accomplishments of football players on a football field. For other people, it's a business, and that's okay if you're upfront about it. The worst of the worst are the folks who stand there in suits that are worth more than your scholarship, and they tell you, oh, we're in it for the kids. Uh, you're not. You're not. You can't even name the kids on the field right now. What you can do is you could give me the exact dollar and cents figure of your current media rights deal. And again, that's okay if you're upfront about it. We have people in Indianapolis, Indiana who watch the show who I'm great friends with. Unfortunately, you share a city with the NCAA. And I, I don't see an entity doing more damage to the fabric of the student athlete or uh, standing in the way of the advancement of athletes' rights more than the NCAA right now. Not about the kids, never been about the kids. It's just they're being a little bit more upfront about it lately than they had been in the past. I appreciated the good old college try of hiding it in the past. They don't even hide it anymore. It is what it is. Next up, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Ryan Day's job is not in jeopardy, people. There's a myth out there that Ryan Day's job's in jeopardy. Ryan Day is, um, I wish I... Immunity. I wish I had Jesse in my ear right now because Jesse would tell me the exact winning percentage of Ryan Day. It is either at or above anybody in terms of winning percentage of head coaches over the past few years. But he's lost to Michigan two years in a row. I am not ignorant, at least on this. I get how this works. I know how important the game is. I've been there the last two years. I grew up on this stuff. It's just I, I try and apply a little bit of logic. And if you're telling me that Ohio State goes and loses 31-27 in the big house late November, and that's it regardless of what he did the rest of the year, you're high. There's no way that's the way that works. There's no way that's the way that can work. And the reason a lot of people think Ohio State's the best job in college football or one of the very best is because of the stability at head coach long term and because they make good decisions typically. That would not be a good decision. So that's a myth. That's not happening. Next up, good one right here. Kind of synonymous with the whole playoff spiel earlier. Um, you have more to look forward to than just 2024. Full disclosure, I work for CBS, I work for 24-7 Sports, and uh, they, they have a job to do. And I'm sure every Monday, from now until the end of the season, there'll be an article on the front page of our website that says, if we had a 12-team playoff this year, this is what the current rankings would look like. But I don't have to click on it. It's not good business practice to tell you not to click on it. I'm just saying I don't have to click on it, and you can decide to live your lives however you want to. Uh, we could have a great year this year. We have no clarity at the top. There is no slam dunk favorite. You've got folks like me 
picking Bama and Ohio State to play for a national title, and we don't know the quarterback situation there. So that is the kind of chaotic recipe, or at least those are the chaotic ingredients you have in the kitchen prior to seasons like 2007. And it's hard to predict that kind of thing, part two. But, man, 2020, 2024 will be here when it gets here. Uh, celebrate 2023. You may come to find that you miss it down the road. Even some of you who rail against the current format. Next up, an eternal lie, an evergreen myth. If you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Lies, lies, lies. We watched Alabama in the past have Tua and Jalen there. How stupid would it be to say, well, guess I don't have a quarterback. No, they had two. It's the same reason we don't use the word controversy on this show when we're talking about a quarterback competition. No one ever says outside linebacker controversy. They just call it a competition. When you have see you, when you have more than one good player at those positions, that's not controversial. Let me tell you what's controversial. When you have no good players at those positions, that's controversial. I don't think that's the case at Ohio State. I don't think that's the case at Alabama right now. I could be wrong. It has happened a time or two, although usually it's kids, coaches, or officials who mess it up, not me being wrong. But I don't think that's the case. And so I, I, never, I never really preach that on the show. If you have two quarterbacks, you got two quarterbacks. If you got no quarterbacks, well, then you just got a problem. And, yeah, that is very controversial. Uh, lastly, kind of also an evergreen statement here, but let's just go ahead and knock it out of the way. 2023 or not, Notre Dame doesn't play anyone. Well, yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. They always do. Uh, this is a really bad week for us to talk about this, Jesse and Colin, now that I think about it, because they happen to play uh, Tennessee Tech this weekend. Tennessee State. I can't remember which one. Tennessee State. Irregardless, as Meemaw would say, they play Southern Cal this year. They're the preseason favorite to win the Pac-12. They play Clemson this year. They're the preseason favorite to win the ACC. They play Ohio State this year. They're the preseason favorite to win the Big Ten, unbeknownst to some of you. That's not an easy schedule. It's not. It's just they don't play in a conference, and some of you take it personal, and that's okay. You can, you don't have to pull punches with Notre Dame, but let's also acknowledge the truth. They play a pretty decent schedule, and it doesn't have to be top five, but it's not bottom five either. They play a pretty decent schedule. So those are some of the myths. I just want to get out of the way. I wanted to air those grievances. It's like 98 degrees here right now, so I'm already pretty hot, as you can see, but I wanted to get that out of the way. Don't, don't fall for the myths. Appreciate you guys uh, being tuned in. So, look, we're doing something with the Pate State Store. So, PateStateMaterial.com is open now. I'm big on collector's items, although I don't collect many of them, but I'm big on the concept of them. So, when we go on the Once Upon a Saturday tour, as we are here right now, for one week and one week only, we will have specialized tour t-shirts in the Pate State Store. You see them on the screen right here. If you listen on podcast, imagine the Fleetwood Mac Rumors album, except just take the font. And then put it on a t-shirt. And then put a storybook opening and put a football in a stadium coming out of it. Once upon a Saturday. How dreamy does that sound? Sounds amazing. And then imagine Salt Lake City, Utah at the bottom. Imagine Rice Eccles Stadium, 831-23 at the bottom. If you want to see it, if you want to buy it, you can. But uh, that's going to cut off really quick because I announce our week two destination on Sunday night. And then this will be gone forever. There's also a really sweet Pate State, My State, Utah t-shirt in the store right now. Okay, let's roll on because this is not Home Shopping Network. Clemson and Duke are playing Monday night. You know that because we talked about that game somehow like five straight shows about two months ago, and then you told me to stop. So here we go. It's time to break this game down. It's a Labor Day night game, so I waited a little bit longer. Clemson versus Duke. Clemson, as of this morning, in the hotel room, Clemson minus 12 and a half is the point spread. It's a Monday night, 8 o'clock game, Eastern time. 
When, he, when we have double-digit point spreads, we want to know, is there a path for the upset? Yes, there's a path for the upset, obviously. Riley Leonard, question for you guys. Rhetorical, you can answer in the comments if you want to. Is he the best quarterback in this game? For those of you in the scouting world, is Duke's quarterback, Riley Leonard, is he the best quarterback in this game? He's going to have to play hero-esque ball Monday night for them to win this thing. Uh, I think he can. I think he can. So that's the first thing Duke would need if they did pull the upset. Another thing they need is they got a pretty veteran offensive line. They have to at least have a stalemate. They have to at least win their fair share of battles with Clemson because Clemson plans on winning this game with their defensive front. By the way, Peter Woods, that true freshman defensive tackle, he's, he's with the oars, which in modern translation means he's with the ones on the Clemson depth chart. Mildly surprising for me, mildly surprising for, I think, a lot of people in the Clemson fan base. That's a good sign, though. He's not running with the ones because they lack options. I can promise you that. Uh, also, the Duke secondary has to prey on Clemson if they decide to get aggressive. So think about this. You've got Garrett Riley, new offensive coordinator. And what's the one thing everyone's been talking about? they got to throw the ball better. Man, they, just, they, they don't push the ball down the field enough. Okay, well, he's human. And he knows what the history of Duke football is, which is not anything to write home about. So you think to yourself, man, I'm going to show these folks. I got a good former five-star quarterback. These wide receivers are better than people think. They just haven't been able to shine in the previous system. We're going to push the ball down the field. We're going to get aggressive. Okay, that actually plays into Duke's hands in the upset potential category. Now, maybe Clemson shreds you, but your best shot is for them to put the ball in the air and your veteran secondary and your opportunistic secondary to take advantage of it. So if all that stuff happens and it breaks Duke's way, there, there's a path, I guess, for an upset there. I think Clemson has to, regardless of what I just said, they got to establish themselves at wide receiver. And we actually do need to find out, hey, they're better at wide receiver. They're not so plodding. They can make yards after catch happen. If, if you go into this game thinking, oh, we can be conservative, we can play it close to the vest, it's just Duke. Dude, four weeks from now, you're playing Florida State. Like, you've got to be able to do it. You can't wait until the Florida State game to show that you can do this stuff. Um, and so I'm very interested, because as much as I think that may play into Duke's hands if you can't execute, I think Clemson needs to do that anyway. Also, their defensive line, look both ways, regardless of how experienced that Duke front is, they should be able to take over this game over the course of four quarters. If Clemson can't do that, that's also trouble down the road. So it may aggravate you that I put a Z in Clemson, but it should really aggravate you if your defensive line can't take over this game eventually. Um, it's a big night for these head coaches now. Like Dabo, you want to talk about pressure. Napier's under pressure here in Utah later tonight. Dabo's under pressure. I never thought I would say Dabo pressure and Duke in the same sentence, but here we are. The year of our Lord 2023. He made moves. He got his new offensive coordinator. And that's supposed to be the answer, uh, except that we don't know if it's the full answer yet, or if it is even. We don't know if it may take eight weeks, six weeks, three weeks. Is he ready to go right out of the gate? So let's take a look at what the model thinks on this game. The Vegas number, you can find it anywhere from like 12 to 13, depending on where you look right now. We're going to go with Clemson minus 12 and a half as the number. Uh, as much as I beat around the upset bush a month ago, I actually love Clemson in this game. I think they're going to win it by two touchdowns plus. And I think it may be competitive. Like 14 points, guys, is you leading by one possession and a late score with four and a half minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Boom, you covered. That's the kind of game we could see. I just think they're going to throttle Duke's offense down too much. So I'm going to take Clemson to win. I'm going to take Clemson to cover. And I feel pretty good about it. So much so that we put it in the Ramen Noodle Express. Choo-choo for cash. Choo-choo for cash? 
T-shirt? Yeah, okay, T-shirt idea. All right, uh, we are here because of our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors. They make these trips possible. Uh, candidly, they make most of my wardrobe possible these days. They will make your tailgate possible. They will make your Saturday camping trip possible. They will make your kids' little league football game possible. They will make everything possible. And, of course, it's been well established. They have Big League Chew in the checkout line. So it's literally everything that someone like me needs for life. And even if you're not a minimalist, solid 85 to 90% of your life's needs can be checked off at Academy Sports and Outdoors. If you can't get there in person, academy.com has you hooked up. They've got all kinds of specials going on. We've got all kinds of stores opening up all over the place. I have it on good authority. They're in town tomorrow. Maybe if I can fly back quick enough, I can meet up with them. But good people at Academy. Um, they're us. Like, like They're ones of us in the plural. So just make sure, if you can't get there in person, if we don't have one open in your backyard yet, Academy.com has you hooked up. Also, Friday Night Lions is back tomorrow night. I'm trying to fit as many reminders in the show as I can. Uh, that's going to be very, very mysterious. It's going to be heads up about an hour before. It's going to be on Instagram Live only. It'll be it'll be me and the I, Josh, and you from my hotel room, an address I can't get about on air. And we'll just talk about the lines that you want to know about. I'll have the model pulled up. I tested the Internet. It's working great. And we'll try and win some money. But in the meantime, let's talk about the Ramen Noodle Express. So we already put several games on this thing. And I may add one or two more on Friday Night Lines. But let's make sure that we have everything up to date. Okay, so we're on Arkansas State, minus, plus 35.5 against Oklahoma. We're on Clemson, minus 12.5 against Duke at home. We're taking Akron, plus 10. I don't really feel like I need an explanation for that. You don't know Akron's players anyway. Just trust the model. TCU, minus 20.5. We think they're going to kind of sort of more than likely roll over Colorado. We're adding another game, and I don't know that we have ever placed our shekels on this guy's team. But we're taking Houston plus two. Numbers moved across zero, by the way. They are playing UTSA. I think everybody, mainly because the mascot's a roadrunner, loves UTSA this week. Uh, we're going to actually take Dana Holgerson in Houston. I I'm not going to do the Go Cougs hand signal because I know some of you will screen grab it and use it for ulterior purposes. But we are going to take Houston. So we're putting them on there, Arkansas State, Clemson, Akron, TCU, and Houston. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, and coming every Thursday henceforth, good friend of the program, Cole Kublik, Cube Show on YouTube, if you want to check out his channel, is going to join us, and I never know what we're going to talk about. It'll normally be day of. We recorded this yesterday, but it's some good stuff. You haven't seen any of it. So here is Cole Kublik and our conversation. I appreciate you guys joining us from Utah. Take care. Enjoy the game tonight. Here's myself and Cole. Thanks, Josh, from Utah. And somehow I look like I'm not in Utah. I'm in a Nashville studio here. 
Kublik is here. Cole Kublik is here. We're going to do this thing every Thursday. And you saw, you saw, sir, I took this to the public and I gave him a vote because I am not a dictator, contrary to what gets said around this place all the time. I wanted this to be called Cube Steak. Cubes, space, take. It's a play on Cube Steak. It works oh. well in the South, I thought. People voted it down in overwhelming numbers. They want it to be called Coal Cuts. Are you happy with it? I am because, let's be real, Josh, college football is driven by graphics currently. So if you don't have a graphic for something, I don't deem it as to be real. Mm. Just like your uh, conference predictions the other day. I, I wouldn't even have thought that you made those. But then all of a sudden, here comes the 247 graphic. Josh actually made his picks. So um, I'll be expecting a birthday graphic from you as well. We already had that made. For the Saturday night game, we did it one year, and then they S-canned it, and so we're bringing it back. Cold cuts, it is. I feel like if you would have given that description, though, with the Twitter poll, it may have gone a little bit more your direction. Yeah. I, I just don't feel like people followed it the way that you wanted them to. And I'm not against putting my hands on the scale. I, I do it all the time around here, actually. But also, I mean, you're, you're saying, like, you got to have a graphic. So that's like if, if someone out there wants to put Colorado in their top 15 you got to put it in a graphic, and it's all of a sudden real. They're really a top-15 team. That's what you're telling me. Correct. Or if your coach is recruiting in a state that your school's not located in, graphic, we're recruiting the great state of, you're in Utah now. So I would imagine you'd have some uh, mountain landscapes, maybe a snow skier uh, with the goggles on, or if, you know, if it's a kid's birthday on your team, even if he's the third-string walk-on long snapper, he gets a graphic that says it's his birthday. Yep. Um, you know, when, when fall practice begins and a guy actually shows up for practice, graphic, Josh Pate at practice today. It's not real in college football unless it's graphic. I don't have, even know if that's a real word, but we're going to try to use it. Have you ever thought about making a graphic for your podcast so that it will actually exist for some people? Do I even have a podcast is the real question. I'd much rather go by that guy who may be on television or may not or may have played in the SEC or may not. I just I kind of like being that guy who may or may not do certain things. Right. OK, so now that 13 inside jokes are out of the way for the mass audience, let's talk and about for something. the record. I'm not the one that doesn't have Georgia winning the national championship. Yeah. So I feel like. I have a newfound freedom from being criticized on said show, and I'm going to allow you to take over for that yeah, this year. I'm the one in prison now. Visit me on Tuesdays and Thursdays, please. So since I don't have Georgia winning the title, I don't have them winning the SEC. I've got Alabama winning the SEC, and then I want it to be noted in the order of history, you came in behind me and predicted Alabama to win the SEC, and that's how my journal will remember it. Why do we believe in Alabama? Because there are detractors, even in my building, even on my staff, there are detractors who say, this style of ball is not going to do it in 2023. I got thoughts. I think elite talent can still play any way it wants to and win if it executes. What do you say? Yeah, the execution part of that is critical. And there is this mindset. Uh, you joined my, my radio show with McElroy, even though he wasn't there last week, and we talked about this, that – for some reason, people just think that that style of football just can't work or be applicable anymore. I actually think that what it can do, if executed properly, can make some of those other things that you would like to do easier to accomplish. Play action, throw the football, bootleg, quarterback runs off of certain runs that you have. Now, you're, you're going to have to have a certain set of skill and a certain type of player to be able to go out and do that. And I, I go back to Alabama last year the last two, three years, just how quarterback-centric they were. And 
I'll give you a perfect example, Josh. Greg and I had a guy tweet into the show today. He's like, hey, Clay, Auburn fan here. How come y'all think with the same offensive line and the same offense that Alabama just going to figure out how to run it this year? Well, it's, number one, not the same offensive line. And I look at this in a very similar way that I did to Joe Burrow from 2018 to 2019. Joe Burrow didn't just get that much better. That's not what happened. Joe Burrow was given different opportunities through a different offense to prove how good he was at certain things. And you see that Alabama offensive line right there. I think they are going to be given a different opportunity this year through Tommy Reese. And that opportunity, Josh, is essentially going to be, hey, run duo. And then they actually run it. Or counter. And then they actually run it instead of maybe calling a run play 20, 25, 30 times a game, and that turns into a slant, or that turns into a go ball, or that turns into a hitch. Not being as quarterback-centric means more dedication to the run game, and I think the opportunity for the Alabama offensive line, the tight ends, the running backs to go out and prove that type of football can still be applicable. And when you look at a lot of the tempo-based offenses, one thing that does happen occasionally is they sort of run into a wall. With the new clock rules, an offense that maybe gives you a couple three and outs, now all of a sudden your possessions are shaved in half, if not by more. You better make those two or three possessions count that you actually have, not including the ones that you had been getting for the last five to eight years. The Burrow point's good because it's like, it's like an inverse in the direction 2018 LSU versus 2019 LSU. Well, 2022 versus 23 Alabama, those offenses may be going in different directions, but you're still talking about doing something you're best equipped to do and doing it at a high level. I remember that, though. That's not that long ago. So everyone was looking at Burrow and LSU. Remember, Bama went down there and shut them out in 2018. Shut them out. I remember being at the game. And so in 2019, people are shocked that how how did this player, how did this offense that got shut out last year, how are they all of a sudden this? Well, the answer is very simple. Sometimes you don't need to overthink the room. You just said it. It's not. It's the same human. Like if you, t- if you test his DNA, it is the same guy. But the same offense, absolutely not. Here's what people can't get their mind around. So you and I both feel the same way about what this offensive line will be this year. It's the entire key. I think that in the secondary, to me, is the entire key behind everything I predict Alabama to do. There are flat-out folks who, because some of this personnel was there last year, and they were in the 100s and whatever advanced metric you want to circle, there's no way they could be dominant this year. You played that position. Why can they be dominant this year? Let's start with mindset, and let's take a couple of the individuals. Tommy Brockemeyer is at TCU. Amari Kite is out. Uh, Damian George is out. Tanner Bowles is out. I think there were a lot of guys, Josh, that kind of had a feeling of where they were going to go and what they wanted to be. And either they self-policed it in that room or Coach Saban had something to do with it or Eric Wolford had something to do with it, basically saying, if you don't want to be this kind of guy, if you don't want to be this kind of individual and you're not built for this, kick rocks. Go find somewhere else to play football because we're coming back next year, and by God, this is who we're going to be. Look at some of the things that Tyler Booker has been saying this offseason, that J.C. Latham has been saying this offseason. J.C., you visited with him in media days just like I did. They, they cannot escape telling people how they want to dominate, telling people how they want to go push them around, play bully ball, play murder ball. Hell, you even got the guys on defense that are talking about how the guys offensively want to go play this style of football again. So I think even though it's the same guys, their mentality has sort of taken over. You can't be someone who comes in the room 
that's not a starter, that's not projected to be someone that gets meaningful snaps, and enact yourself on everybody else. And I think as Tyler Booker went on last year, and as Latham went on last year, they became those guys in that room. So now they can step up to the front of the room and say, this is who we are, this is what we're going to be. You know, certain guys don't like it, they leave that room. And if everybody else doesn't get on board, they're not going to be a part of what that offense is going to do. So I think it was a little bit collective. But I also think just because you say Tyler Booker was on that team last year, he wasn't a dedicated starter going in week one. Right. We didn't talk about him last year like we are this year. You look at the extra tight ends they're going to have and just that mentality of saying, hey, guess what? We're calling a run play here, and there's absolutely no chance our quarterback's going to pull it and throw a slant or run around or go find a pop pass to throw it to. It's going to be interesting to see because it, if that's right, that's the style of play that maybe early in the season makes you look at it and say, this team's going to win a title. It's the kind of team sometimes that you sell on in September only to buy back in November. But radical change, man. Radical change. Okay, so I wanted to go to the ACC for a second because you and I were talking about this the other day. We talked about it a little bit when I was on with you the other day. Clemson has won, I think, seven of eight ACC championships. They're the favorite every year. They are the slight favorite again this year. That's the key word, slight. So Florida State's in the mix. Um, to me, the, one of the biggest stories in college football when people talk about the lack of competitive balance over the last few years has been, number one, teams in Florida, California, and Texas haven't really secured their own recruiting state. Number two, no one has stepped up in the ACC. And so you just allowed... Uh, statistically the second most talent-rich conference in America to be dominated by one team for an extended period of time. No excuse for it. Miami's been bad. Florida State's been bad. The her there is horrific football being played in the state of Virginia with no end in sight. And so you've just got Clemson saying, well, if no one else is going to do it, we're going to do it. So this year, you got Florida State, I, I hope for the conference's sake, kind of at the table. But like, how wild has it been that no one has stepped up, not for one or two or three years, but there was a call put out, we're going to play dominant football, which normally is a tide that raises all boats, and instead every boat just sank in the conference and just rested at the bottom of the bay. There was this diabolical college football analyst that picked NC State to go to the playoff one year, but there's no need in revisiting that. I don't think we should even discuss it here on the show. However, I think there's a couple things at play here. And, and you know the recruiting landscape a little bit better than I do. And so we could easily sit here and say, well, they just out-recruited everyone, which would be true, absolutely true. But I also think some of the waves and cycles of recruiting that if you were to go back four years ago, eight years ago, 10 years ago, were sort of must-have or must-do with where college football was, they dominated that portion of it. Defensive line comes to mind. And if you would go back to that, Alabama Clemson trade-off back and forth, whatever that was for however many years, sprinkle it in Ohio State every now and then. What did all those teams have in common? Dominant defensive lines and dominant defensive line men. Well, then we had a little bit of a shift, probably, and I don't think anybody sat around a big giant table and were, you know, the knights of college football and said, This is how we have to operate. Well, what do you how do you offset a great defensive line? Yeah, you can say offensive line, but really it's quarterback because He's going to get us in the right play. When things break down, he's still going to be able to make something positive happen. And we have to be able to overcome people who can give us problems there. What did Clemson do? They were dominant in recruiting quarterbacks. Then they put some skill guys around them. And the other part that I think that Dabo had for a long time that not many college football programs that are ultimately successful for a decade plus have is staff continuity. 
And look at where some of those staff, once they did decide to go leave, what they went and do. You had a head coach at USF. You had a head coach at Arkansas. You had the current head coach at Oklahoma. Certain people will point their finger and try to jab and make a joke and say, well, they weren't successful there. They didn't have a great run there. That's okay. Nick Saban's guys haven't always had great runs when they've gone to coach other places. But it does show you the coaching prowess that Dabo had in that facility with him for a long time. I think there are even other things we could put where Clemson was sort of ahead of the curve. Facilities. Nobody else had a slide. Nobody else had a putting green. Now, with NIL, that looks a little bit less important. People aren't spending their money on that anymore. But there was a time, and I know you remember it like I do, when it was a flat arms race of who could be the silliest and the dumbest with the things that they put in their facility. Because kids loved it. It's kind of like when Oregon said, we're going to have three uniforms for every game. And by God, we don't even know which one we're going to wear this week. You get to pick. We'll roll the dice for our uniform this week. But we got so many, it just doesn't matter. Because the kids love that at that point in time. So certain things come and go. It feels like there was a really long stretch where Clemson kind of knew how to be a little bit ahead of the curve. Who to recruit, how to recruit, where to recruit, what to do with your facilities, how to treat your assistant coaches. If if I'm not mistaken, Venables was the first guy over $2 million a year, right? Yeah. It, it, maybe there was a – I think he was. And so – whether it's paying your assistance, making sure you have other guys around you that can help keep that staff continuity together. They were just always sort of out in front. And in the SEC, when those things started to happen, mainly Nick Saban doing them, everybody else sprinted to go get those things. Oh, my God, we got to get a waterfall in our facility. Or, oh, man, we got to go have 72 analysts on our on our staff. They all sprinted to try to get there. And a lot of them tried to bring in a Nick Saban guy to do it with. Whereas a lot of those ACC schools just kind of said, cool, we like our coach, so we're just going to kind of see if we can make that happen too. And they got way behind. Florida State is catching up. And I think Mike Norvell is doing an amazing job building it, and he has the portal to be able to do that. Is Clemson falling behind from that perspective? Maybe. Um, I I think what Coach Cristobal is doing at Miami is going to work. It's just going to take a little bit more time. Uh, And I think kind of, again, this year, NC State, could be a little bit dangerous. Yeah, Brennan so Armstrong, they're, they're you're, you're, a, you're a believer up. in that? This year? Yeah. Yes. I, th- I think I think it can be scary. I love the D-line. I love the front seven. I'm, I'm very anxious to see, and we're going to have a conversation about this a little bit later, but sort of that theirs isn't a complete 180, but a pretty big shift offensively. I don't know exactly how, how that's going to be consistently good early in the season. All right, so you mentioned NIL. I want to touch on this for a second. Um, We'll probably talk about this again later in the season, but just the overall, like what NIL is in college football right now. And I'm not even talking about whether we like it or not. I'm just saying what it is and the different dynamic in play. Uh, There are a lot of folks who were really terrified when the idea first got presented. Well, there are some folks who were terrified that we were going to pay college players. And then they had the wool pulled back off their eyes and they said, oh, okay, it's just going to look a little different. And then another group of people said, but what's this going to do to locker rooms? You know, God forbid the fact that someone who is making the university a disproportionate amount of money is actually going to have more money in his pocket. So I talk to you all the time about this. I don't think either one of us have a problem with that as a concept, but it's the dynamic in the locker room that is really interesting. So we were talking about Bama a second ago. I've talked about Ohio State with this entire theme of when they know they don't have an elite quarterback in the spring, And it's a really talented group. Sometimes collectively, that can galvanize you and that can raise the play of everybody. Well, it's the same way with NIL. 
when you don't have that big earner, when you don't have that shark in the locker room, maybe there's not that mentality of, oh, he'll do it. He, he's the big earner. He'll do it. They all know we're, we're kind of, from an earnings perspective, we're kind of all on a rookie contract here. We, we're kind of all the same, yeah. so we got to all pull the same weight. I think fans need to understand the multiple ways that this works. Um, I honestly get frustrated when we say NIL because I think if we took a giant, you know, a pie and we broke up the percentages of it, I think there is a much larger portion of it that is not really NIL, so to speak, than actually is. Now, is, is Caleb Williams on the Dr. Pepper commercials this year? Yes. Does Kate Klubnick have a rowback deal? Yes. Those are those are real NIL deals. Mm-hmm. But you and I both know that enticement and it's not even pay for play. It's pay to attend. It's it's here's like I mean, I was on a coaching call with Rick Stock still today and I was talking about how does NIL affect your team? I want to hear your stance on it. And he said, we're proud of how we manage things and run things. But the guys who have left our program that go start somewhere else, they have left because they've been offered money through NIL and that there's nothing we can do about that. There's a there's a large understanding that that's what college football is and where it is, Josh. But I don't I don't view that as nil. If you if we're giving somebody two hundred thousand dollars to come to school here and then hopefully go play, that's not utilizing name, image, and likeness. That's giving you money to just come give it a shot. In my opinion, now there are also collectives that are all used in all kind of different ways. But the way that I think a lot of the coaches would like that to be is, okay, we have $200,000 or $2 million. Let's give our 85 scholarship guys X amount a month for the entirety that you play football here. That could be $5,000 a month, $10,000 a month, whatever that is. And then let the chips fall where they may when a Brock Bowers can go get a deal with Josh Page Barbecue or Caleb Williams can get a deal at you know Cole Kublik's tire change place. And that's an extra $2,000, $20,000, $100,000, whatever that is. I think that's the intended way that a lot of coaches saw it and sort of wanted it to be. It's not really that. Does it affect the locker room? You bet your rear end it does. I've talked to multiple head coaches that have said what a problem it is. Guys see the next guy get whatever, and they get mad. I've heard stories about guys in the parking lot of where the collective is housed yelling at the people inside because so-and-so just got a nicer car than he did. And then to go even further, you bringing up Alabama a little bit, I, I think when you look last year at that football team, Bryce Young and Will Anderson, they were the two biggest earners through NIL. They were also the two best football players. Subconsciously, it's hard for me to imagine that there wasn't a little bit of, okay, well, he always bails us out, so he'll go bail us out again, right? But then further down the line of, well, he's he's a, he does the Dr. Pepper commercial, right? Like he gets seven million a year, two million. Like let him do it. He's the guy get all the money. He'll do it. He's the one that everybody wants to pay. <laughs> Go for it. We forget that these are 18, 19, 20 year olds sometimes. And just from an from a maturity standpoint, that's the way your brain operates. You haven't had enough life experience to understand that that's not just how things always have to be or because they seem that way. So. I think it affects you in a lot of different ways. There's gonna, there's a lot of gimme, 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 more, 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 my, my, mine, me, 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 and and it forces that to a certain extent. I'm not against guys making money. I'm not mad when a guy gets a legitimate deal, but the way that some of the other parts of it operate, it can ruin a locker room, and even when it's not intended to, and it shouldn't because the guys are making money because they're great football players. 
there's going to be jealousy, there's going to be envy, and there's going to be guys that sit back and say, okay, well, if you're earning all that money, you go make the play. You go throw the touchdown. You go get the sack. We'll be over here waiting on our turn once you leave to try to go get paid next. Here's what's crazy. Now, this is what would probably surprise a lot of people. There's a thought that when you watch a team raise a trophy and the confetti falls on them at the end of the year, they must have had a rock-solid perfect culture, angelic, borderline angelic culture. And what, what I've seen, I know good and well you've seen it in years past, so not to specifically mention any one team, because there's more than one, is you'll watch a team who's getting ready to play for a title, you'll watch a team who's won a title, and you've covered them in week six, and I've sat there and talked to three other staffers, and they've let you know, dude, it's kind of a disaster right now behind the scenes. Not, not holistically, but we got this happening. We got this dude at this dude's throat. Uh, this assistant coach is, is all kind of issues all around him in that, in that lane over there. And it's, it, it, what it does to me is it makes me appreciate so much what a head coach has on his plate. I don't know when a head coach ever gets time to talk about football. I don't, I don't know where he ever gets time to focus on football. And that was before the whole NIL thing and the transfer portal thing got thrown in there. And so, I mean, it's, it's kind of a different topic, but it's also not. What I'm trying to say is you're, you're trying to just hold it together. That's what you're trying to do. Right. You're, you're never going to have a perfect culture. You're never going to have that, that utopian, we're, we're all in it for each other. We're not going to focus on self. It's all going to be about we. That doesn't exist. If you've got humans in a locker room, to, to, a, to an 85 or a 115 or 120 kind of number, that won't happen. It's which coach can just hold it together. Like when, when I have my hands clasped, there's going to be a little pull apart there. Just which coach can make sure the hands don't separate entirely. Those are the ones winning right now. It's one of the things that you give Kirby Smart so much credit for the last couple of years, how you can have guys that are going to go in the top 10 or the top 15 or the top 20 who statistically maybe just put the best defense up in the history of this game that we love so much that we've watched, still believing that they're not good at what they do, either individually or collectively. It's incredible. And he found ways to do that. One of the things I think you and I are sort of falling in love with with this Alabama team this year are the stories coming out about Deontay Lawson yelling at a guy and MFing a guy because he didn't want to come do extra conditioning after practice, which was not required by the staff, mind you. But him saying, this is what we do and how we do it. So if you don't want to do it this way, get. Find another place to go play football. It's amazing everything taking. And I think the other part too, Josh, is that the last few years, so many things have hit these coaches in the face that they weren't necessarily ready for. NIL, really cool. It's great. They weren't ready for it. Nope. Nobody was truly ready for it. And I, I, I'm convinced that even the teams like Texas A&M that seemingly had it all figured out, there were some accidents along the way in which they just happened to have things set up the right way or happened to have the right people in charge of it. And the transfer portal, do you think these coaches were ready for guys to, in the middle of the season to say, yeah, I'm out, I'm portal, I'm gone. And the biggest problem in all of that is that college football players are smarter than they've ever been. They are constantly learning how to game the system. I'll give you an example. Last year, towards the end of the season, I had never heard of this. I didn't know this was happening. I never thought about this potentially taking place. There was a pretty big problem, kind of a groundswell that was happening that nobody heard about and nobody was talking about with college football players that were rolling up on having played in four games this year, which we know the new redshirt rules put in place 
something the NCAA probably didn't think about as being a byproduct of this. And coaches damn sure didn't sit back and go, okay, now let me see here. When we get to four games, this kid's going to say, I ain't playing anymore. How are we going to deal with that, Joey? Okay, cool. Let's take that down. Not a real thing. But players who played on special teams, had reserve roles or rotational roles, they were coming to coaches saying, hey, coach, um, I've played four games, and I want to save my red shirt, so I ain't going back in this year. I'm sorry, what? Yep. Oh, and I... I don't know if you understood. I don't want to play any more football for you. Oh, I'll, I'll practice. I'll be scout team guy. Uh, which, by the way, I would never in my life would it come out of my mouth to say I want to be on scout team. Uh, but you had guys, and they handled it in different ways. Some guys didn't say anything. Lincoln Riley was very public about it. He had a receiver, and he said, yeah, man, you can help us. So go to the practice squad and work against my DBs every day. I'm, I'm cool with it. Now, that's fully grasping probably where we are in college football today. But other guys that I know that I talked to essentially said, goodbye, we're done. Don't need you. Don't want you. And there were other I, I talked to one SEC coach that said we had to figure out ways that this kid could still utilize our academic center because it was tied to our athletic facility. And I didn't want him around my team yep. because you just said you don't want to be here anymore. So I think these new waves of things, I don't know what to call them that coaches have to deal with and manage are hitting every single year. And that only gives you more, more things that you got to worry about, more things that you got to do and more people that you essentially have to babysit, I guess. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy to think about what they have to try and deal with on a daily basis. All right, let's talk about this for just a second and we'll get out of here. Um, two offenses that I want to, I want to ask you about because we got radical shifts about to happen. Um, we'll do the first one in your backyard. What is Auburn's offense about to look like this year? How radically different? And well, it's going to be very different from, one, a personnel standpoint. It won't be as tight and heavy. That was a lot of 12 personnel last year uh, that Bobo and Harson threw on the field. A lot of single back, a lot of under center. You won't get much of that anymore. They'll be gun the majority of the time. There will be some tight end usage, but I don't know if there'll be as much multiple tight end usage. And that's one of the reasons that it was such a big concern in the, in the receiver position was harped on so much through the portal is that Auburn just didn't seem like they had the numbers, period, much less quality numbers to be able to go out and run some sort of a spread offense. Uh, the tempo will be much faster, much greater. Now, I think that they'll they'll find different ways to tone that down, go fast at times, and then slower at times. It's going to be a team that takes more shots down the field, plain and simple. I mean, one thing that Coach Freeze and Coach Montgomery both believe in are forcing you to defend depth and they will take shots when they find one-on-ones. So it's still going to be a run first offense, but by design, it's not going to be stretch play from under center. It's not going to be counter or power, you know, from under center 20, 30 times a game. That's not what it's going to be. They will run the football. It's just, they're going to do it by creating some space, by utilizing tempo, winning matchups, certain things of that nature. And Quarterback's going to have quick ball distribution, have to complete some passes. RPO game a little bit, a little bit more present than it has been the last few years. So it's going to look different. It's going to act different. And that's why some of what Hugh Freeze is able to get in the portal, specifically at receiver, quarterback, and offensive line, are actually going to give them a chance to exceed expectations this fall. Dude, imagine going back 10 years. I mean, Hugh Freeze has, has been a head coach at that point. You go back 10 years and you just give him a glimpse not of his entire future, but just, hey, at, at a pinpoint in life in 2023, you're going to be a head coach at Auburn, and out of spring, you're going to go get your starting quarterback for the fall. 
So he's not even going to go through spring ball with you. You're also going to use something called the portal. Follow me here, coach. You're going to use something called the portal, and you're going to bring in a, a large chunk of your starting rotation, 11 four-star rated guys or higher, and you're going to be put in the pressure cooker that is the SEC West, and people are really going to have expectations. Oh, by the way, this is going to be the first year you're ever there. Your thoughts. and Just roll the dice. Let's go with it. Like That's, that's essentially Auburn football this fall. It's, it's wild to think about when you go when you really go through and pick apart that roster and I know they put a depth chart out and then coach free says he had nothing to do with it either way you look at it probably three offensive linemen probably two defensive linemen a linebacker two three receivers however you want to calculate that a tight end a quarterback as you mentioned there's a good chance that half of the first 22 are going to be guys they got out of the portal uh, that's insane to think about it shows that they did a great job but it, it, it's it's wild times that we're living in here in college football. Yeah, the other one, here, here's what's really fun. So Phil Longo follows Luke Vickle up to Wisconsin. And this is probably the most oil and water, shock to the census thing that's coming for America. They've known Wisconsin. And you got a 45-year-old guy, for instance, that just lives in, I don't know, Sheboygan, for example. Know your geography, kids. And he's watched Wisconsin football be one thing pretty much his whole life. And all of a sudden, we had Fickle at, at Media Days last month, and I said, how radically different is this going to be? He said, oh, it's going to be different. It's going to be way different. And they haven't really shied away from that. They got three really good receivers out of the portal. They went and got Tanner Mordecai from SMU. That's a former five-star guy. But Phil Longo, offensive coordinator, comes up there by way of North Carolina. Uh, they, were, they were nothing else at Carolina recently, but they could throw the football. They could run up the score on you at least. What do you think that's going to look like? Are they watching in Watertown is what I need to know because my mother's side of the family, the likely portion of my family, Watertown, Wisconsin, been there many a summer, lived right across the river from the slaughterhouse. So we Okay, yeah, 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 right across the river from the slaughter. Oh, yeah, Watertown's Correct. here, yeah. Got, okay, got it, good, they're in. Uh, this is going to be as, as big of a shift in philosophy, mentality, DNA, attitude, mindset, whatever you want to call it, than we have seen maybe in the history of college football. And because of what you stated, Josh, that historically Wisconsin was so good at one thing for so long, and that was pounding the football into your face and making you like it over and over and over. Great offensive linemen like Joe Thomas, great running backs like Ron Dane, throwing some extra tight ends and fullbacks. And it was a lot of fun to watch. And now Phil Longo, who I will say, the last couple of years has gotten much more responsible with how he manages an offense. When he was at Ole Miss, by God, I can remember some third and threes and fourth and twos where he's throwing fades down the field. And they're, they're, you know, they're, they're throwing these corner routes. And I'm thinking, good Lord, man, it's third, third and one. Like, what are we doing? He, he has a much better understanding of how to balance things out, but it's going to go lightning fast at times. They are going to push the ball down the field at other times. And they are going to have formations that maybe I've never been seen at Wisconsin with four and five wide receivers. One of my biggest questions with it, and I got this quote from a Mac coach that I covered a couple of years ago. And we, they had a lot of success throwing the football. And he said, yeah, but you know what always happens in the Mac? November happens in the Mac. And look at the places that we go, DeKalb, Buffalo, Michigan. What, yeah. What's it going to look like later in the season is all I want to know because Wisconsin's got some big games at home late in the season. Can you still throw it 45 times a game if you want to? That's why I think Coach Fickle may be sort of, you know, the, I, I guess 
the great mixologist in everything that Wisconsin wants to be this season by saying, we're still going to have a little bit of our old DNA here. We're still going to be able to push some folks around at times. Because I think late in the season is going to be one time that you're almost going to have to. The weather will dictate it. Look at Ohio State at Northwestern last year. I mean, they blamed that game on the wind, for God's sake. So I, 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 it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be interesting. Then in Mississippi State, I think, are two of the most interesting case studies this upcoming season with just how drastically different things are going to be on offense. Hey, man, you're, you're a Southern boy. So did you know you would have you would have folded in that cold weather if you ever went to play in it? Did you know that about yourself? <laughs> Man, my dad went to Hampton High School in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I, I, I still have a little bit of that. that that's been calloused into my blood just a little bit. Okay, yeah. my Mom's family, Wisconsin. Dad's family, Pittsburgh. Yes, they had me in the South. I was born in Jackson, Mississippi. But um, at least I can say 21-year-old me would have never folded in that. 40-something me? Yeah. Uh, no, uh, I, I'd probably shut that down pretty yeah. quick. I did I, I did a game in a wetsuit last year. How, <laughs> how big a sellout did you feel like you were at that moment? The only thing that made it okay is that Brady is where we got the idea for it. So I'm like, if Tom Brady can wear a wetsuit and play football, by yeah. God, I can wear a wetsuit and call football. Where are you this Saturday? What game you got? Tuscaloosa. You're in Tuscaloosa. Uh, Tennessee State, Tuscaloosa, yeah. And then uh, there's so many different things that – we're going to be able to talk about quarterback is obvious. Some young guys on defense, that defensive line, the offensive line. You kind of hinted at something with your graphic a few minutes ago there that we're going to talk about Saturday night that is going to happen that I do not believe I've ever seen on a starting five of any college or NFL offensive line. you got to watch the game to find out what it is. I love how you air-quoted graphic, like it's an alleged graphic. It may or may not have been there. Yeah, I thank you. Okay, so so Cole Kublik on this podcast, this show, <laughs> uh, going to do it every Thursday, man. It's going to be it's gonna be tight with your schedule. We're going to be able to pull this off? Well, we'll f- yeah, we're, we'll figure it out. I'm traveling late now because I, I got to do the Monday show, read and react on the SEC Network, 6 p.m. Central with Rowan Harper if you're into going back at the film over the weekend. But, no, we're, we're going to be fine. Thursdays are good. We'll, we got this going. All right, man. Cole Kubler. Cole Cuts, for lack of a better name. And we appreciate you guys watching. Uh, we're we're going to go watch a football game right now. It is Florida. It is Utah. We appreciate you guys being tuned in so much. We'll be back. Earlier on Sunday night, we're going what, Colin? Six Eastern, five Central on Sunday night. And that's ahead of, of course, Florida State, LSU. So week one, the schedule's all discombobulated, but we'll get it on track after that. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great college football week one weekend. We'll be back Sunday night. Until then, God bless.